was 75 degrees today. That'd be pretty dope if it wasn't the middle of fucking December. Welcome to the new normal, y'all. Been doom scrolling a little bit today as I'm watching this weather system hit that brought 80 mile an hour winds. I've got a buddy in Baldwin who posted videos of dust storms down there. Apparently there's grass fires up in KCK. And the National Weather Service is like, yo, go find shelter. You may get hit by a flying branch. So, yeah, yeah. That's what we're looking at nowadays. So the best part of podcasting, or the best part of doing a podcast, is the fact it's disruptive media. I like being disruptive. Hell, I agitate more than a washing machine. Our only hope is each other. Welcome to Red Leg Revolution, the podcast about community. I'm C-Dubs, that's Commandante Dubs, and this is a podcast about topics, stuff, and things. We'll discuss things with words, because that's what a podcast is. Talking about stuff. Some stuff we're going to talk about today is how we can affect global change by acting within our local communities. How, through individual local communities, we can improve the world. Yeah, you know what I'm getting at. I'm talking direct action, baby. Woohoo! Yeah! Y'all knew that we were going to get to it at some point. I'm ready to do it. Y'all ready to do it? Yeah, let's talk about direct action. So, are you all ready to talk about fucking direct action? Yeah! Okay, okay, I'll, I'll stop now. Serious, though. Direct action gets the goods, as Utah Phillips famously said. But what is direct action, and what are the goods? Well, let's talk about it. Last summer, after the extrajudicial murder of George Floyd was caught on camera by Darnella Frazier and subsequently went viral, a series of protests, altercations, and organizing efforts begun across the country. These efforts were to assure actual justice for Mr. Floyd by indicting his murderers, to end police brutality, especially against people of color, and the demilitarization and defunding of the excessively bloated police budgets. Its most important goal was to set the message in stone that black lives matter. Black organizers rallied thousands across the United States in what may possibly be the largest mass movement in recent history. From Wikipedia, quote, on June 6, an estimated half a million people joined protests in 550 places across the country. Protests continued through the weekend of June 19th, overlapping with and bringing awareness to observations of Juneteenth. Protests had continued throughout the entire month of June in many cities, with protests occurring in over 40% of the counties in the United States. Polls estimate between 15 million and 26 million people participated in the United States, making these protests potentially the largest movement in terms of participation in U.S. history. End quote. The activists faced police forces itching to violently over overreact. Federal stormtroopers sent to hotspots to black bag activists and a deadly pandemic to protest injustice and to make the world a better place. Activists of all kinds, of different political affiliations, First-timers, old-timers, and everyone in between converged together to protest the modern-day lynchings by police. In the end, the gains from such movement are not for the likes of me to judge, as I am not part of the community affected. 
Some cities did reallocate nominal funds from the police, while others reevaluated their police procedures. Other government entities took a more performative stance, in my view, by opting to paint murals on street corners or to kneel while wearing a kente cloth, and then promptly support a subsequent budget under Biden that appropriated more money for law enforcement. I can't say if it was too little or just enough, since it's not my place to make that call. Regardless of the outcome, whatever changes that were won were gained through direct action. Direct action is relying on only on ourselves for change rather than institutions such as the government or a corporation. Direct action is leveraging whatever we have to directly affect an issue. In a lot of ways, it's an action-based form of mutual aid. One could even say that all mutual aid efforts are direct action in one form or another. But let's look at the official definition. Merriam-Webster defines direct action as, quote, action that seeks to achieve an end directly and by the most immediately effective means, such as a boycott or strike, end quote. Keeping that frame of mind, mutual aid is direct action as the immediate goals, as defined, are achieved quite effectively probably more effectively than if the affected people had waited for established institutions. Direct action can be nonviolent as well, and can be violent depending on the means used. Merriam-Webster mentions strikes, which, as history has taught us, can be either violent or nonviolent. Usually, it needs to be noted that the violence was often instigated by law enforcement, kind of like the violence we saw in the summer of 2020, when we saw police riots all over the country. I was there, quick aside. We would show up peaceful, they would give us an order to disperse, which would be in direct violation of our First Amendment rights. A lot of times we didn't know that the order had been given because it was a big crowd. Next thing we knew, they were attacking us with chemical weapons, with batons, beanbag guns, sound cannons, sound grenades, yeah. So, cops usually start the violence in direct action situations. But I digress. Tactics popularized by Dr. King, such as sit-ins and strikes, were nonviolent forms of direct action. We talked in the last episode about the Seattle General Strike, which was a form of community direct action. The George Floyd Uprising was another example. If you know me, you know I use the term praxis a lot, but it's basically a commie form of saying direct action. Dictionary.com defines praxis as, quote, action as distinguished from theory, end quote. To me, praxis is any act made with intention at dismantling oppressive hierarchies and regimes. Praxis is both attending a protest and keeping a garden. Mutual aid is praxis. Praxis is daily direct action, leveraging your time, your money, or your attention to things that make the world a better place. Praxis and direct action are two sides of the same coin. Direct action is where our power lies. Institutions like political parties, governments, and corporations have no vested interest in dividing their power, breaking their own self-serving institutions, sharing their spoils, and as such, it's pointless to appeal to these for real change. Sure, you might get a crumb here or there, such as the Democrats finally backing a $15 minimum wage only 10 years after the struggle began. Now, $15 is no longer a living wage due to the rising cost of living, but it's what we're going to have to settle for because they won't vote away their own economic power. 
We can't depend on traditional institutions to save us. I mean, they fucking literally got us here. The institutions of capitalism, patriarchy, racism, sexism, etc. are the pillars that hold up our current version of society. And without addressing these severe issues with these, any changes are superficial at best. The government has spent the past 200 and change odd years building a system of sole power within the state and simultaneously destroying the planet in the process to benefit shareholders. The nine companies or whatever that own everything have spent the last hundred years or so establishing their monopolies to the point that they're now both too big to fail and too big to break up. Our only chance at anything resembling a society in the future comes from direct action now. Sweet, sweet praxis. Mmm, praxis. <laughs> the changes we need will not come from reforming the rotting foundations of this country changes will come from direct action. Direct action is building dual power. Building dual power is ensuring our survival. We've talked a bit about dual power in the past, but let's recap. Dual power is building community through filling in where established institutions are dropping the ball. Things like food banks, mutual aid projects, community clinics, and community gardens address issues where the state has failed. For instance, Food insecurity, lack of affordable health care, and food deserts are a few things that are eased by the projects I listed. If our current system was functional, there wouldn't be a need for, say, a community-run health clinic because health care would be affordable, accessible, and easy to access. When you're able to help fill the needs in your community and build dual power, it builds your network with a solid foundation. Have you ever seen an issue in your community that needs to be addressed and thought to yourself, somebody should do something? I talked a bit about my aha moment, my awakening, my own epiphany, so to speak, on our last episode, but the takeaway should always be, I'm somebody. It's self-affirming, empowering, and it's the goddamn truth. You are somebody. You are a unique individual by genetic makeup, personal experience, and self-growth. You are somebody capable of changing the world. Don't ever forget that. Because that... That, my friends, is where direct action starts. I met a bunch of first-time protesters at the uprising in 2020. They'd watched with growing horror at the escalation of extrajudicial murders of black men over the past years, and the Floyd tape was a tipping point, to the point where they said to themselves, somebody should do something. Then they had that thought, that precious, magical thought. I'm somebody and they went to the front lines for the first time. As the flashbangs went off and the tear gas clouds amassed, they became further radicalized as they saw the power of the state turn toward them, as they saw perfect strangers navigating them to escape routes, as they saw their own community as active allies, they became further radicalized. All because they thought, I'm somebody. It's not enough to wring your hands, change a Facebook profile frame, and cry about it. That's the work of a nobody, and goddammit, if I have one takeaway I want you all to walk away from this episode is, is that you're somebody that can change the world. Unless you're a fascist, then maybe rethink your priorities before taking this notion to heart. Okay, buddy? Uh, just go, go back and listen to the fascism episodes and then maybe think about how you're somebody. But speaking of fascism, wait, no. That's a real bad way leading into my sponsors. 
they kick ass and participate in direct action, oftentimes against fascism. So check out our local sponsors and we will be right back. I just got my hours cut again. How can I pay my bills? Yeah, it sucks, especially since they only pay us minimum wage. But what can we do? Solidarity Man. That's right, fellow workers. It is I, Solidarity Man, champion of the working class. And it sounds like you need a union. A union? That's right. What power on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? So a union makes us strong? That's right. Alone, you can do little to change your situation. But together, you can move mountains. And the industrial workers of the world are here to help. Huh? The IWW is a union for all workers, no matter the trade, job, or career. And we want to organize your workplace. Wow. Where can we find the IWW? In your hometown. The IWW has branches all over the world. Check out IWW.org to find your local membership board or join as an at-large member and start your own chapter. After all, our greatest superpower is working together. I must go. I hear another exploited worker calling for help. But remember, the working class and the employing class have nothing in common. Away! And we're back. How'd, how'd y'all like the commercials? Getting some free stickers or good podcasts? Yeah. Anyway, we're talking about fucking direct action. I, I need to, like, pipe a badass guitar solo or something behind that. Shred it. So, <clears throat> yeah. The problems facing our world today are global issues. These include all our issues. The rise of fascism, the increase in global wealth disparity, the sectarian violence, the supply chain issues, the corruption, the capitalism, all of it. And of course, obviously, global climate change. It's right there in the name. What we face daily is a microcosm of a bigger picture, one that includes a dizzying amount of preventable death. There are already parts of the world who are experiencing the effects of the warming climate. There are already famines and floods, fires and fallout. These are occurring in places most Americans can barely name, let alone spell, and so we pretend that global warming isn't affecting people. We Americans are experiencing the earliest effects just now, only because we outsourced all the manufacturing and resource extraction to far-flung parts of the globe. Areas in Asia or Africa, which have endeared centuries of capitalism and colonialism, are already dealing with the damage from smoke-belching factories, from food shortages due to Western consumption, to a displacement for a myriad of reasons. It's a global problem. Global deaths. Look, I'm not biblical to say the least, but I do love cherry-picking the best lines from the Bible to make a case. Shit, I may actually be a fundamentalist? Oh, well, sorry, Flying Spaghetti Monster. Guess no more pasta for me. Anyway, I always love the line, Whatsoever you do to the least of my people, that you do unto me. Jesus said that. And not my homeboy Jesus, who I drank 40s with on Saturdays. What's up, S.A.? Motherfucker's loco. Anyway, uh, so yeah, the other Jesus said that. And we owe it to these folks to work together to stop it. Climate change effects are obviously the most important, but we owe it to our relations from other nations to fight all of it. To build a new world where we are all truly equal. To do that, we obviously need to think global, act local. Hey, 
title drop. That old saying, think global, act local, is really the only way any of us can affect change. I mean, think about it. I can't convince some stranger in a town I can't pronounce somewhere thousands of miles away, but I can certainly talk to my friends and neighbors, be involved in my community, and maybe start a podcast or something. I, I don't know, just shooting from the hip here. These are all drips in a bucket all over the world. Sure, we're all just molecules of mist individually, and the bucket is the size of a rainforest, but that doesn't mean we can't eventually fill it. It takes time, persistence, and most of all, the efforts of all of us. It's too late to fix the warming of the climate. Again, it's December 15th, it's 75 degrees, dust storms, fire, and that's just what's going on in my neck of the woods. So it's here, folks. Let's, let's just admit that and move on to the what are we going to do about it part. We've got to the tipping point. Even if all the carbon emissions stopped today, it would take years for the carbon accumulated in the atmosphere to disappear. We have to accept the new normal while simultaneously working like our lives depend on mitigating the warming temperatures because they literally do. In order to try and pull the brakes on this train wreck in progress, we have to work together, locally, with a global goal in mind, and we have to start now, if you haven't already. We have to do what we can to reduce emissions any way possible. Uh, I'm going to get into this, but, well, you'll see. It's advisable that you grow or buy locally sourced food as much as possible, reducing the environmental impact of carting Costa Rican bananas to Podunk, Ohio. Not to mention the emissions from farm machinery, political bribes, burning villages, processing produce, roving anti-union death squads, packaging, you know, regular fruit distribution costs. Driving less helps, but in a world made to force us to buy, maintain, and pay taxes on automobiles, that might be difficult. We could also generate our own power, assuming your local energy monopoly and city council hasn't banned that yet. Huh. It's almost like there's some sort of barrier that's preventing exactly what we need to be doing. I wonder, I wonder what that is. I'm just, you know what, I'm going to think about that, what that barrier is. And let's take a minute from all the world is on fire stuff to imagine Ronald Reagan on fire in hell. You can have a little Ronald Reagan in hell as a treat. So, yeah, let's take a second. He's burning. Oh, Nancy. I, it's, 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 it's very hot down here. There we go. That, that's a better Reagan voice. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's bring it back. In the end, we have to overcome that barrier, whatever it is. We can all do everything within our power to prevent the worst of what's yet to come. In the end, there'll still be a bunch of companies in the United States military who are causing the majority of the worst of the damage, which means systemic changes are needed. Why try to collect mist to fill the bucket when we could literally turn a fire hose on? If we don't change the standards, systems, and traditions put in place by capitalism, we're gonna have a bad time, even worse than what we are currently going through. If, well, no, that is very much possible. And we're going to be heading that way if we don't start getting some shit done. I realize that my personal ideas on combating global climate catastrophe are never going to happen, so they're probably not worth mentioning, especially since I probably go into every individual thing, have a 10-point plan, and we'd be doing a 14-part episode until I finally got bored with it and my entire listenership switched all things considered. Nah, let's skip that. 
let's just bring it back to direct action. So, if you're not involved with any efforts to combat these oncoming changes, let me remind you again that you're somebody, you can change the world, and I believe in you. Again, fascists go back and rethink your life and why you think the way you do, and then maybe take that to heart. So, let's talk about pressure, because I think it's time we step up our efforts at pressure. And I've got a perfect example of pressure. Pushing down on you, pushing down on me. Wait, hold on, hold on, that's under pressure. Uh, hold on, let's see. Dun, 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 no, wait. Still under pressure. Uh, yeah, so let's just uh, throw it to commercials, and then when we get back, we will talk about pressure that Freddie Mercury is not involved in. Fat bottom girls make the world go round, and so do our friends at our sponsors. We'll be right back. Hey, capitalism sucks, but Revolution Records, Kansas City's old school record and bookstore, is part of my community. When I'm in Kansas City and need a book or a copy of a local band's album, I go to Revolution Records. Revolution has a great selection of posters, books, records, tapes, and zines. Plus, they repair music and sound gear. That's pretty dope. Most importantly, Revolution Records is part of the community beyond being a small business. The staff does a great job maintaining an inclusive, accepting, and respectful atmosphere, and they also are active in making Kansas City a better place. Community fundraisers, workshops, events, and meetings all have taken place at Revolution Records, and that's just the stuff I was involved in. So the next time you need a new record to spin or your speaker breaks, go check out Revolution Records, located 1830 Locust Street, Kansas City, Missouri, or at revolutionrecordskc.com. Okay, and we're back. So pressure, let's, let's talk about pressure here. Let's talk about Mother Jones. So, I don't know if you know who Mother Jones is, but Mother Jones is one of my many leftist heroes. So, it's my show, and we're gonna talk about her. So, let's talk about Mary Harris Mother Jones. From an AFL-CIO write-up of Mother Jones, and I'm, I'm gonna do this in my old-timey voice, quote, Born Mary Harris in Cork County, Ireland, the woman who would become Mother Jones immigrated to North America with her family as a child to escape the Irish famine. Tragedy struck Mary again when she lost everything in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. After the fire, Mary began to travel across the country. The, na the nation was undergoing dramatic change, and industrialization was changing the nature of work. She moved from town to town in support of workers' struggles. In Kansas City, whoop whoop, shout out! In Kansas City, she supported a worker struggle and did advance work for a group of unemployed men who marched on Washington, D.C. to demand jobs. In Birmingham, Alabama, she helped black and white miners during a na nationwide coal strike. Mary organized a massive show of support for Eugene Debs, the leader of the American Railway Union, after he served a six-month prison sentence for defying a court order not to disrupt railroad traffic in support of the striking Pullman workers. End quote. So those two paragraphs, um, again, from that AFL-CIO write-up, um, established that Mother Jones was a badass, and that's just part of her cool story. 
She came as an immigrant to America and saw the exploitation of not only her fellow immigrants, but everyone, and vowed that she was somebody. As she was moving about the uh, country organizing, there were, well, for lack of a better terms, a libertarian wet dream of hardworking children working under terrible conditions for below a living wage. I mean, if my libertarian colleagues were there, they'd say, give them a cigar and a handshake for putting in a fair day's pay. My personal attitude is put those little shits in school, although I know that tiny hands make for, you know, delicate picking out of rocks in crevasses, but, you know, that's, that's just a sacrifice the corporate world is going to have to make. So, from uh, Mother Jones' autobiography, available as a free PDF in the Industrial Workers of the World Archive, quote, at 5.30 in the morning, long lines of little gray children came out of the early dawn into the factory, into the maddening noise, into the lint-filled rooms. Outside, the birds sang and the blue sky shone. At the lunch half hour, children would fall to sleep over their lunch of cornbread and fat pork. They would lie on the bare floor and sleep. Sleep was their recreation, their release, as play is to free children. The boss would come along and shake them awake. After the lunch period, the hour in grind, the ceaseless running up and down between the whirring spindles. Babies. Tiny children. End quote. Mother Jones, obviously, took umbrage with this. Further from her autobiography. Quote, I asked the newspaper men why they didn't publish the facts about child labor in Pennsylvania. They said they couldn't because the mill owners had stocks in the papers. Well, I've got stock in these little children, said I, and I'll arrange a little publicity. And that she did. From the Zen Educational Project. On July, quote, on July 7, 1903, Mary Harris, Mother Jones, began the March of the Mill Children from Philadelphia to President Theodore Roosevelt's Long Island summer home in Oyster Bay, New York, to publicize the harsh working conditions of child labor and to demand a 55-hour work week. During this march, Jones delivered her famed The Whale of Children speech. Here are some excerpts. Quote, After a long and weary march with more miles to travel, we are on our way to see President Roosevelt at Oyster Bay. We will ask him to recommend the passage of a bill by Congress to protect children against the greed of the manufacturer. We want him to hear the wail of the children, who never had a chance to go to school, but work from 10 to 11 hours a day in the textile mills of Philadelphia, weaving the carpets that he and you walk on and the curtains and clothes of the people. In Georgia, where children work day and night in the cotton mills, they've just passed a bill to protect songbirds. What about the little children from whom all song is gone? The trouble is that the fellers in Washington don't care. I saw them last winter, passed three railroad bills in one hour, but when the labor cries for aid and the little ones, they turn their backs and will not listen to her. I asked a man in prison once how he happened to get there. He had stolen a pair of shoes. I told him that if he had stolen a railroad, he could have been a United States senator. One hour of justice is worth an age of praying. Roosevelt refused to see them. End quote. However, this march gathered the public support needed for enacting a federal child labor law, which in turn put pressure on lawmakers to change the law because their constituents backed it. I know, I know, it was a different time when American politics was slightly more functional in 
some ways. I mean, it was still a point in time where, you know, African-Americans and natives and women couldn't vote, so I'm not giving them too much credit. But, hey, at least their politicians kind of listen to them to a degree. So, yeah, it's a waste of time to try and support uh, it's a waste of time to try and suppose how child rights regarding employment would, would have played out without the pressure brought on by Mother Jones and her army of pissed-off children. But I think it's safe to assume it would have taken even longer to get those laws passed. In the end, child labor laws passed because of the cons- concentrated pressure through direct action that eventually made the powers that be cave in on the matter. Even the Civil Rights era, which is often framed as only taking like 20 years of struggle, actually took a hell of a lot longer than that. Like, multiple fucking generations. Multiple generations of direct action, from the Amistad to the pressure put on the DA to charge Ahmed Aubrey's murderers. It's not a cut-and-dried thing. There's rarely a watershed moment where it all changes. It all comes from persistent, direct action. We can't stop. We owe it to those who did the work before us, those doing the work among us, and those yet to come and do the work. We have to act directly. There's a saying from... God forgive me, I'm going to probably butcher this because I don't speak uh, Yiddish, but from Rabbi Tarfan, who lived and taught 2,000 years ago. And it's from the Perky Abbath, or the Ethics of Fathers. Quote, you are not required to finish your work, yet neither are you permitted to desist from it. End quote. I always interpreted that as none, no single one of us is going to finish the work. And occasionally we may need to step back from it, but we can never quit doing it. Because so many people, past, present, and future, are counting on us to continue doing what we do and trying to change the world. Another one of my favorite quotes, even though it came from a horribly racist man, is the famous Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world. I try to live my life like that every day on a more personal level, but it definitely drives a lot of my own activism. I do what I would like to, I do what I can to make the world what I would like to see. And I think that's pretty cool. But, you know, Gandhi should probably have fucked off with the racism. Uh, So, we have to act directly. Get involved in your local community. Start a community garden, and spoiler, first episode in season two is going to be all about food and plants, and I've got a couple cool guests lined up. So, compost your food wastes, shop local businesses, attend protests, marches, and rallies, and if you're not able to do that, provide logistical structures, financial donations, and moral support. Participate in politics beyond voting. Seriously, I know it's usually a futile effort, but it's one we have to make, and I hate that I'm even about to say all this, but speak up if your lawmakers are considering a bullshit law. Sign petitions for initiatives, referendums, and recalls. Vote in local elections, as these are the ones that most affect your local community. Attend town hall meetings and yell at your congressman while high on edibles. Oh, okay, maybe that last one should just be a me experience. If you do it, get at my uh, DMs and shit and let me know how it went. I still really enjoy the story uh, where I went and did exactly that. First time I ever grew pot. First time I ever 
ate edibles, and then I went and yelled at a bunch of federal lawmakers. Memorable experience. So, yeah, that should probably just be a me thing. So support your local strikes, donate to mutual aid groups, listen to the show, and show up when oppressed comrades need allies. You know, basically get your ass to the front line if you can. When shit hits the fan and the homies are out there putting their asses on the line, you damn well need to be a part of it. And if you can't get to the front line, that's cool. Like we talked about with Taylor and in regard to mutual aid, we all have different things to offer just make sure you're offering something to the movement. Be the change you want to see in the world because you're fucking somebody, you know. Direct action is doing something about it. And we are all capable to do something to change the world. All it takes is that spark, that idea, that notion that I am somebody. All right. Now that we've thoroughly tried to incept you, uh, we'll see how well that went. I'm looking forward to uh, Leonardo DiCaprio shooting me in the face in my dreams tonight. Uh, Let me do some plugs. So that's the show. You're listening to Red Leg Revolution. I am C-Dubs. You can find us on the social media at Red Leg Revolution. You can find us at most social media there, except for Twitter, which is RedLegPod. We have YouTube, Facebook, all that good shit. Um, Like, subscribe, share, wherever you get your podcasts, and, you know, keep showing up. We are about halfway through the first season with this episode, so we are going to talk in the future about... We're going to revisit with Amy and Amanda and talk about fascists some more. That may end up being another couple episodes. We are going to talk about politics and why we still have to participate, even though it is all bullshit. Uh, That'll probably be an episode or two. And then we have a two-parter at the end about climate change which will probably kick us into the second season unless I can get a bunch of my co-hosts for this season together to do a roundtable. So if you've been on this show and you're listening to this particular episode, get at me. Let's book that. So, yeah, this is Red Leg Revolution. I am C-Dubs, and our only hope is each other. Man, and fuck Theodore Roosevelt. Weird-ass, walrus, racist, Cuba-taken, moose-shooting son of a bitch.